Hi there, and welcome to Vineyard Church Delaware County's podcast. My name is Michael Hansen. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and I am so glad that you have joined us for this week's message. I'm going to have a little bit more to say at the end, but for now, enjoy the teaching. Thanks, everyone. It's good to see you. <clears throat> Excuse me. Hey, if you're visiting today, I'm really glad you're here. And uh, just want to echo what Andrew said. We'd love to meet you after the service at the, uh, at the info counter. Also, good morning to our online viewers. Guten Morgen. Hope you're, hope you're doing well. Um, I'm going to jump right in. Last weekend, I kicked off a series you can see there, The Apocalypse of Jesus Christ. And we're doing a, a study <clears throat> of the last book of the Bible. It's called Revelation. And um, if you missed last week, please go to our website, vcdc.org, to catch up. We're going to do our best to do review each week, but it's just going to get harder and harder as we progress into this series. And, um, and be, so I'm going to do a little bit of review here in a sec. But before I do that, last week I encouraged you to start reading Revelation. I'm curious, how many of you have started reading Revelation? Okay, so I'm noticing this side of the room. Uh, this side of the room, are you even listening right now? Okay. Just, yeah. Okay. But that's, so I'll just focus that. Like, no, okay. That's great. But I do encourage you, and especially you, plural, y'all, y'all, uh, to, uh, to get into Revelation. It, it really will enhance uh, this series as we go through it. Okay. Bit of revela- a bit of review on Revelation. Uh, this is a very challenging, often confusing book. It is primarily apocalyptic literature, apocalyptic genre, which means it has lots and lots of imagery and symbolism. Uh, It also has lots of direct quotes or references uh, to the Old Testament. It was written in 96 AD by the Apostle John, one of the uh, original 12 disciples. And Revelation is the longest pastoral letter in the Bible. Uh, And it was written on and sent from the island of Patmos, which is just off the coast of modern-day Turkey. And it was sent to seven churches that John pastored on the mainland. Uh, It was sent to them as a letter. And while he was there on Patmos, John had an apocalypse. And remember, when you hear the word apocalypse, don't think that, you know, uh uh-oh, something bad is going to happen. Our culture, we really have misused the word apocalypse. Uh, To have an apocalypse really is a good thing, and here's why. Uh, We get the word apocalypse from the original Greek word you can see there, apocalypsis, which means an uncovering or a revealing. And so another way to define apocalypse is the removal of the cover of a box the opening of a door or a window, or a pulling back of a curtain. And so an apocalypse is a good thing because uh, uh, that means that what has always been there is now made visible. And what was made visible to John uh, on the island of Patmos, it was, well, Jesus was made visible. John had an apocalypse of Jesus Christ. And if you remember last week, I said that one of the foundational ground rules uh, that's going to help keep us on track as we go through this book is that we need to honor the title of the book. And the title of this book is found in the first few words of the first verse. And that is, it is, uh, the first few words say, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And the, the original word would be the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. And that means that revelation is primarily, it's about a person. It's the revelation of 
Jesus Christ. We need to keep that in mind as we go through it. It's the unveiling, the pulling back of the curtain to reveal Jesus Christ. And so uh, John, the apocalypse that John had, uh, if you remember I said this last week, was, was literally a live drama, a live play that God put on for him. And in this drama, there were different acts with different scenes. There's different characters. And many of the characters we'll see come back uh, throughout the play, if you will. But they change, uh, they change costumes. And John was commanded to write this all down, uh, to write down all that, he, all that he saw, and then to send it to the churches. Uh, another helpful ground rule that I shared last week really has two parts. It would be the two purposes of apocalyptic literature. First one is this. First purpose is to set the present moment in light of the unseen realities of the future. And if you remember last week, I said that the unseen reality of the future is that Jesus is coming back one day and he's going to bring a new heaven and a new earth and make everything right, etc., etc. The second purpose of apocalyptic literature, and we're going to focus more on this one today, is to set the present moment in light of the unseen realities of the present. Meaning there are things going on right now that we, we can't see, but that doesn't mean they're not there and that they're not actively uh, going on here in this room. Uh, there are other ground rules and, uh, which we'll come back to, and again, we'll do our best to to uh, just to keep those in front of you, to remind you, and they're going to help us keep on track. But before I get to the passage for today, uh, let me say this. According to Daryl Johnson, Johnson, whose book, it's called Discipleship on the Edge, we're using his book as a guide, and you know, I just found out we just sold out. Maybe we should have ordered more than two, but... Uh, no, but we're, we've ordered more books, but you can get them on Amazon. Uh, but I encourage you to get the book. It's an excellent book. But we're using his book as a guide as we go through this series. It's a commentary on Revelation. And he, in his book, he says that the basic structure of Revelation uh, is, is this. You have the prologue, chapter 1, verses 1 to 8, which we looked at last week. You have the epilogue, chapter 22, verses 10 to 21. And then in between those two is where we have this apocalypse, this vision, this play, this live drama that God <clears throat> puts on for John. And Johnson, in his book, he breaks down that vision apocalyptic section. He breaks it down into five parts that are separated by the word open. And I think this is really cool, which he says makes sense because the word apocalypse basically means open. It's an, it's an opening. And so for those interested, as Andrew would say, we'll, we'll get a little nerdy for a bit. <laughs> but uh, that's not very nice. That's not nice, is it, Andrew? I wasn't making fun of you at all. Not at all. Okay, but, <clears throat> but <clears throat> the different acts in Revelation are separated by the word open. So we, we, the, the second act is introduced in chapter 4, verse 1 a door standing open in heaven. Then the third act in 11, chapter 11, verse 19, then God's temple in heaven was opened. Uh, fourth act, 15, 5, the tabernacle of the covenant law was opened. And then the final act in 1911, I saw heaven standing open. Now, that may or may not be interesting to you, but I say that to say, uh, today we're moving out of the prologue and we're moving into the first act of this drama, of this play. And in this first act, we get to meet uh, the main character of the book of Revelation. So before we get to that, let's pray. And then, uh, then we'll jump in and, and continue 
this book of Revelation. So Lord, uh, I thank you for a new day. I thank you for everyone in this room. I thank you for everyone joining us online. I thank you that uh, what we're learning and what we'll continue to learn in this series in Revelation is that things are not always as they seem. And that there's a very, uh, very real, very active presence beyond what we can see. And I just pray as, 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 as Christians, uh, as people who are curious about Christianity, would you, would you continue to open our eyes to see you, to be more aware of what really is going on in our lives, in our world. Uh, but I, I just pray that today you would come and pull back the curtain Just come and reveal more of yourself to each one of us here. So we welcome you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Uh, we're going to be looking at chapter 1, verses 9 to 20. And a little bit of overlap from last week, but you can follow along along on the screens or, of course, in your Bible or on your phone. So let's read here. Verse 9. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands And in the middle of the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword." His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later, the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Okay, uh, so John's on the island of Patmos and like he said there in the, you know, in the Lord's day, I was in the spirit, he was worshiping God and as he's worshiping God, you know, he has this apocalypse, this revelation, the, the curtain is, is pulled back and actually behind him, he hears a voice behind him like a trumpet that calls to him and he literally turns around to see what that voice is and when he turns around, this is what he sees. He sees Jesus, no wonder, uh, just the description there, it's no wonder that John literally dies or, you know, falls like a a dead man uh, when he sees that. And so before we talk about what John saw, I want to talk a little bit about uh, why was John on the island of Patmos uh, in the first place? Because Patmos was not uh, not a vacation uh, destination. So the first point is John makes a choice. This will make sense a little bit here. John makes a choice. Okay, remember that in the first century, 
Uh, the superpower on planet Earth was not Canada, as some believe. Uh, yeah, history, you know, but no, it was, it was Rome. Rome was the superpower, and, and uh, you know, th through incredible military strength, they basically ruled the, the known world. And if you rebelled, if you pushed back against Rome, they were quick to crush you. They were quick to come down on you. And so Patmos was a prison island. Uh, uh, the, you know, the Romans basically maintained this, it was, again, off the coast of modern-day Turkey. This was an island where they would send criminals. And uh, particularly, they would send political up, you know, troublemakers, uh, criminals would be sent there. So think something like Guantanamo Bay, right? The place where they would send criminals. But then when you hear that, you go, well, wait a minute. What's John doing there then? Like if you're at all familiar with John, the, one of the original 12 disciples, his, his gospel really, the primary word that we find in his gospel is the word love. And you're like, wait a minute, how is this guy, how is this guy thrown into or, you know, sent to this prison island? Well, during the latter part of the first century, the emperor of Rome was a guy named Titus Flavius Domitianus. And uh, history teaches that like most uh, dictators, Domitian was, was, a very, was very insecure in his uh, position. And so in an attempt to control the people and to, you know, quote unquote, force their loyalty, uh, he ordered that all the people should worship him as Domini e Deus, which means Lord and God, right? Uh, so that meant that, you know, all around Rome, uh, uh, temples would be built to honor the emperors. And in a, in, a, in a city, if you're trying to, you know, get in the good books of the emperor, you would, you would build one of these temples, to, you know, in, in honor of the, of the emperor, and then uh, what, what Domitian said is he ordered citizens to go to the, one of those temples, and, and it, I don't know how many times or how often they had to do this, but they were ordered to go there. They would take a pinch of incense, throw it on a burning altar, and they would have to say these words, Kaiser Curios, which means Caesar is Lord. Okay, that, I think this is super interesting. Uh, and and, and this, is, this is even more amazing. He, you know, this is what he told them to do. But then he said, but you, you know, basically you can believe anything else that you wanted. You can worship any other God. And there were lots of small G gods uh, around uh, in, in that culture. But he said, so you can do whatever you want just as long as you say the words that in his mind would, would help hold the, the empire together that Caesar is Lord. Well, uh, that was a problem for John because Jesus taught John, like, yes, you respect the governing authorities. You pray for the governing authorities. You even pay your taxes to the governing authorities. But Jesus taught John that, no, no, John, you do not worship. You do not worship the governing authorities. And so why was John on the island of Patmos? Verse nine says, I, John, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Well, what is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus? Is that Jesus alone, only Jesus is Lord of all. Only Jesus is worthy of our worship. And so John, like I said earlier, John made a choice and he refused uh, Domitian's order. He chose to go against the current of the culture. And, and so because of that, uh, it got him in trouble. And as a leader of multiple churches, he's a very influential man. Uh, he is now an influential uh, troublemaker. And so off to Patmos goes John. Does that make sense? 
I think that's very helpful. Uh, so he wasn't there on a timeshare. He was there, he was in prison. And like any good pastor while he was there, you know, uh, breaking rocks, maybe making license plates, or I don't know what he, but uh, while he was there in prison, the burden of his heart was less for himself and it was more for his people. He had a shepherd's heart. He was thinking of, the, of all those churches who were right you know, back on the mainland, smack dab in the middle of this cultural, political, spiritual battle you know, over this thing, of, of, uh, over this question of who will, you, who will you worship. And so number one is John makes a choice. Number two is the church must also make a choice. Again, John's on the island. And on the Lord's day, he's worshiping. And I, I'm sure as he's worshiping, he's, his heart is heavy and he's praying, oh Lord, you know, protect those churches, encourage those churches. And in that context, God pulls back the curtain and, and you know, puts on this play and, and tells John to write it all down and send it to the churches. And, and basically this long pastoral, pastoral letter is meant to be a letter of encouragement to the churches that are, that are in this challenging place. And so John starts the letter in verse nine. He says, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus. Now, when I look at that, I think that is so pastoral. Like there's so much so much kindness uh, uh, in that introduction. He basically starts this letter with an acknowledgement of the common struggle that, that exists in their lives because they belong to Jesus, right? They're in this common struggle, this, you know, the, the suffering that they're going through uh, because they, they wanted to be faithful to Jesus. They wanted to be faithfully uh, follow, uh, to follow Jesus. And, and this verse is really helpful for us um, in, 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 as we maneuver the rest of the book, especially we get into some of the bizarre imagery of Revelation. Uh, it's, it's so helpful to keep this reminder uh, as a backdrop that this letter was written, the letter of Revelation was written to encourage Christians who were under pressure to compromise their faith. It's a letter written to Christians who were under pressure to compromise their allegiance to Jesus alone as Lord, as Lord of their lives. Daryl Johnson in his book says this, some of the people to whom John wrote understood this pressure and were resisting it. Some of them were not aware of the pressure because they were just going with the flow of the culture and they were losing out spiritually. So John writes to both types of people. He writes to encourage those who are resisting and he writes to wake up those who have gone asleep as they flow with the culture. Now, here's a place, if you were here last week, here's a place in Revelation where we can accurately pull Revelation into our current time. And what I mean is this. Just like the church in the first century, would you not agree that today, in the 21st century, we experience the same pressure? Would you agree? To, there's that, we have the same pressure to compromise our faith, to compromise our allegiance to Jesus Christ as Lord of our lives above all others. We experience the same pressure. Now, we don't have a Roman emperor, you know, telling us to burn incense, incense and all this stuff. But we live at a time where we have some very influential people on planet earth, whether they're politicians or, you know, global leaders, like cultural influencers in some way who are really 
uh, you know, causing this pressure against us as followers of Jesus. Remember when I talk about, you know, influential people, culture, etc. Remember what I said last week, though? Uh, Ephesians 6.12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That tells us that our battle is not primarily against people. Our battle is against the demonic powers, that unseen realm that is behind those people, that's behind the, much of many of the, uh, the changes going on in our culture. And so if we're going to stand up to this cultural pressure, uh, if we're going to be faithful witnesses and, and followers of Jesus, if we're going to choose Jesus, well, when we need to, we need to understand in this present moment what is really going on. And what we see in Revelation is that in order to see what is really going on, we need to have an, an apocalypse. We need to have a pulling back of, uh, of the curtain. And, and what John discovered which empowered him to make a choice and what he was now writing to, the, to encourage the church with to help them make the choice was an apocalypse of Jesus who right now, right now, 9.31 and 42 seconds, who right now, whether you feel it or whether you see it, who right now is reigning, who right now is very large and in charge, who right now really is the Lord of all, right now in this present moment. So what does John see? Verse 12, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands was someone like a son of man. And then he goes on to describe him, and I'll do it like bullet points. He was dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash. His hair was like white wool, his eyes like blazing fire, his feet like glowing bronze, his voice like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. Coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. You know, just, just I mean, I don't know how to imagine that, but just try to imagine that. Is it any wonder that John just went, oy vey, and just, and just, fell down. It's, it's, it's not at all shocking, but, but who is John seeing? John is seeing Jesus. He's getting a glimpse of Jesus. And how do we know, how do we know that that's Jesus, that, that, that is, is, is being revealed to John? Well, uh, I said in my, intro, in my intro, and I said this last week, that Revelation quotes and refers to the Old Testament like 400 times. And what we see in, you know, in John's letter as he's seeing all this and writing it all down, really what we see is almost, not fully, but almost word for word, uh, a very similar vision and, and language used in Daniel chapter seven, where Daniel has this you know, bizarre vision. And in this vision, it's a prophetic vision of a, a prophesying of a coming deliverer. And he actually refers to him as one like a son of man. We see the, you know, the exact, almost the same language. Add to that, in the New Testament, Jesus more often than not referred to himself as what? As the son of man. 10 points. As the son of man. And, and then add to that what Jesus says in Revelation right after John collapses. It says, then he placed his right hand to me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. 
I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Now, you know, I've been reading the Bible since I was a boy, and I'm like, okay, if that isn't a description of Jesus, I don't know who, I don't know who that is. I mean, to say that he's the first and last, he's the eternal one, he's the living one, uh, you know, who was dead, he died on the cross. But then three days later, he came back to life and he came back uh, to live forever and ever. And he didn't just kind of sneak his way out of death. No, Jesus stood up and crushed death. He conquered death. What, a, what an amazing image that he holds in his hand, the keys of death in Hades. The curtain is pulled back and John gets this, this you know, mind-blowing revelation of Jesus. And just little side note, the final verse of this section, verse 20, Heather's going to talk about this more next week, but I, but I, I want to point out it's one of the places in Revelation where we actually get an explanation. And this time it's, it's an explanation from Jesus about what we are seeing. Remember he said that, okay, John, you know, you, I'll give you something here. Those seven stars in my hand, they represent the seven angels that I've dispatched to the seven churches, which makes me go, does that mean we have an angel overseeing our church? And uh, that's pretty cool. And then, okay, so then he also says, um, um, and the seven lampstands, John, let me tell you what those seven lampstands that I'm standing around in the midst of, they represent the seven churches uh, that this letter is going to. Okay, so set that over here. Heather's going to talk more about that next week. So John is on Patmos, and he's there because he made a choice. He refused to worship the emperor. And now on the island, John is worried, and he's praying for, for his people, for the, for the churches who are right smack dab in the middle of that cultural, political, you know, spiritual uh, battle. And, and, and he's praying for them because he knows that they also need to make a choice. And I just want to zero in a bit on this. A choice about what? And remember what I said last week, that... Uh, at the heart of Revelation, this book of Revelation is primarily, primarily asks the question, in this life, who will you worship? And I don't mean in this life, who will you sing reckless love to? Which is great. And, and singing is a small part of our worship. But, but really, in this life, in this life, in this moment that we're in right now, who will you submit to? Who will have the final say in your life? Who will, you know, who will rule you? Who will you bow to? Uh, who will be the final authority? Who will be the majority owner of you? Whose opinion will stand above all others in your life? Who will you, who will you worship? That's, that's, that's the question at the heart of this book. And, it, and it, it, this got me thinking. It concerns me that here in uh, 2023 that we... We, we live at a time, we live in a, in, a, in a land where I don't think it costs us very much to, to say Jesus is Lord. I don't think there's a, 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 you know, a, a significant cost to, to be worshipers of Jesus. And what I mean is I'm comparing it to, to John and the seven churches and what they were experiencing. Like for us, this whole thing of who will you worship, it's, it's not really the dividing line Right? It's not, it doesn't have the same consequences or need the same level of conviction as it did for John and for, and for the seven churches. And so I wonder if, you know, for us today, living in a time where the battle, you know, this spiritual pressure, it isn't as obvious 
as it was for John and the seven churches. Like there's no, the police aren't pulling up out front and they're going to throw us all in jail, send us all off to Patmos because we're here worshiping God. Like that's, that's, that's not the reality for us. And so I wonder if unknowingly in this present moment, we have been lulled into the very compromise that Domitian was really, you know, trying to accomplish or really the the, the, the enemy through Domitian. And, and what I mean is this, a compromise, a compromise that says that my faith is more of a buffet faith where basically I make the decisions and I choose what I want and what I don't want. And I choose what I need and what I don't need. And as long as I, hopefully this makes sense, and as long as I appease God, as long as I throw a little bit of incense on the altar once a week, well, then I can basically do whatever I want. And now that, that may or may not be accurate in your life, but I think that's accurate to the pressure of our culture for us to compromise our faith, that it wouldn't rule us. It would just be an addition to, to us. And, and so just like the church in John's day, we also need to make a church. And so I, or, sorry, <laughs> we also need to make a choice. I'm just amusing myself. We also need to make a choice. And so let me end with this. What did God give John? And what did John then give to the churches to encourage and help him, to encourage and help them, and so to encourage and help us to choose Jesus as Lord? Well, here's the third point, and this sort of answers the question. Seeing Jesus makes all the difference. And it's interesting to me and really comforting to me that the very first words, you know, act one, scene one, enter Jesus, stage left. You know, that, that the very first words of Jesus as he steps onto the stage isn't bow down and worship me. You know, that's not what he says. He says, hey, John, don't be afraid. Isn't that amazing? This awesome, awesome, way bigger than anything the Avengers could, like just this, and his first thing is to comfort John. Oh, Okay, we'll get you some other pants, but oh no, Sandy, I think, I, I think my outside voice, but, but that it's comforting, <laughs> but just think of how, okay, oh boy, just think of how comforting, just think of how comforting that would have been to these churches, right? Jesus shows up and, <clears throat> excuse me, and, and the way he's dressed and where he's standing it doesn't mean a ton to us, but it does to them. And what I mean is it's really Old Testament temple language. Jesus showing up with a long robe. That they would have gone, oh, that's a priestly robe. Jesus standing in the midst of the seven lampstands. You're going, oh, remember the lampstand out, out front of the Holy of Holies? Like it's, this is very priestly and very high priestly. And that high priest steps up and his first words are, don't be afraid. And then what does Jesus do to support his command to not be afraid. And this is where one of those ground rules I said earlier, we see it in action. Remember, one of the purposes of apocalyptic literature is to set the present moment in light of the unseen realities of the present, right? So like, like to, be, to make visible what, is, what has always been there. Listen to what uh, Johnson says. He says, it turns out that the greatest unseen reality of the present is a person. 
The greatest unseen reality of the present right now is the incarnate God with us, crucified, risen, ascended, and coming Jesus of Nazareth. And John would say that unless we believe this, we haven't got a clue about what is going on in our world right now. Right, the greatest unseen reality present. So, so just, just to see if this makes sense. So John, he's going through a hard time. He's sweating, he's breaking rocks. He feels like, man, I've been serving God, you know, faithfully and I've been doing all this. I even wrote a book for him. And, but it's like, he's going through all this and, and you know, in his world, his reality in, in, in his mind is, I'm on this lousy island breaking rocks. And, and, and Jesus says, actually, John, no, that's not true. Like, yes, that's true. But let me show you, let me show you the greatest unseen reality of where you are right now. And he pulls back the curtain and John realizes, yeah, I'm standing on Patmos, but I'm also standing in the very glorious presence of God himself in that moment. And, and then God, you know, graciously also helps John discover that, hey, and John, I know you're worried. I know you're really worried about those churches, but I want to show you, I want to show you the reality of, of how close I am to those churches. Verse 12 it says, and when I, John, turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the middle of the lampstands was someone like a son of man. What did the seven lampstands represent? The seven churches. Jesus is revealing to John, right, and consequently to those churches that, hey, John, understand, I'm not just up in heaven, you know, hovering, looking down at those churches. I'm not just, I'm not just on the outside looking into the window at those churches. What he's saying is, John, I'm in the middle of the lampstands, right? Like, like, like I am right in the middle of all the anxiety, all the fear, all the worry, all the pressure. I am right in the middle. And this is a biblical principle that we, we need to really grab a hold of, that there's, there's this theme all throughout the Bible that God, you see, he, and all throughout life, that it seems like he rarely pulls you out of the situation, but the way that he encourages you is he shows you, he, he, you know, he, he gives you an apocalypse. He makes you aware that he actually is with you in the situation. And, and because of who Jesus is right now, not who he will be one day, but who he is right now, his presence with us makes all the difference in the world. Like, you know, I would just love right now, and I, I, like if suddenly, home this invisible curtain was pulled back and there was a like just Jesus shone as brilliant as the sun like do you think that would have some impact on you if you saw that right I think it would be a room of dead people <laughs> and online you'd probably blow your uh, wi-fi sorry but 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 just imagine that so I want to invite you into something just like like let's read this together let's imagine Jesus pulls back the curtain and he and he says this to us read this with me right okay here we go do not be afraid I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Like to choose Jesus in your present moment, what do you need? And what John is teaching us here or what Jesus is teaching us is that, you know, do you, do you need your problem solved? Well, that would be awesome. But no, there's a deeper need. Uh, do, do you need your questions answered? That would be awesome. But there's an even deeper need. Uh, do you need your desires fulfilled? No, uh, uh, there's an even deeper need. What will help you, what will help me choose Jesus, what will keep us 
in this life. Who knows where this world and our culture is going? What will keep us from compromising our faith is to see Jesus right in the middle of every situation we go through, very present and very victorious and reigning. And notice, notice, notice that in, in, John's, in John's situation, it, wasn't, it doesn't say I had this revelation of Jesus and the next day I got my release papers. He's still on Patmos, right? Uh, listen to this quote. Revelation wants us to take its world to be even more real than the one we commonly refer to as the real world. In fact, revelation is out to undermine our confidence in the evidence of our own eyes. Why don't we have the worship team come back? Listen to the, I'll end with this. You know, what I'm saying in that quote and, and really trying to focus in on today is that we need to remember that one of the foundations of our faith has to do with our sight, has to do with our eyes. Uh, if we're going to be followers of Jesus, if we're going to choose Jesus, 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, for we live by faith and not by sight. Or, or I like the way the message puts it. It's what we trust in, but don't yet see that keeps us going. And my prayer for us today as we go back into worship, why don't we, why don't we stand up? As we go back into worship, is that we would... You know, and join John in that place of worship and that we would have, that we would have a revelation. We would have an apocalypse today that we would see Jesus uh, much clearer. So, Well, thanks so much for joining us today. I hope that what you heard has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and to contact us, go to vcdc.org. We'll bless you. Have a wonderful week.